Hello everyone and welcome to Wealth Chat presented by CGI. My name is Labna Bibi, I lead research for our global wealth and capital markets practice, and I am your host. For this episode, I had a chat with John Turpik and Ken Bachelis. John and Ken are both directors for our consulting services practice in the US. We spoke about the unified managed account structure, the home office providing more portfolio management services to their advisor force, and the potential for banks with multiple channels to leverage data to create a one firm experience. Welcome, John, Ken. Very happy to have you both here. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. Perfect. Um, now, before we dive into some of our very exciting topics today, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourselves? So I'll, I'll jump in, Ken. I'm John Turpak, um, and I'm a director of consulting services here for the uh, Global Wealth and Capital Markets Group within CGI. And I'm Ken Bachelis. I'm also a director of consulting services here at uh, CGI within Global Wealth, uh, based in uh, Michigan. Oh, that's right. You're both our U.S. salesmen. So, you know, before we jump into some of the questions that I had for you guys, um, John, I believe you're in New Jersey. Is that right? Right. So if I were to decide to go to New Jersey tomorrow, what is the where should I go? What's the place that I should uh, visit, you know, the must see place for New Jersey? Well, if, if you're going to come tomorrow, I would definitely say to go to Chester, New Jersey, um, there's a, uh, it's a historic town, but there's a, a farm called Allstead's Farm. Uh, it's a great family oriented place. Um, year round, it's a fruit picking farm, but in the fall, they, they really go all out for like the Halloween theme, right? So huge pumpkin patch, you can pick your own pumpkin, you can go apple picking and other, and other produce, but they also have a bunch of tractors and have, you know, give you a great hay ride around the farm. There's a huge corn maze um, where you can definitely get lost. But what I like about it is they, you know, they have a band on a stage playing. They have this really friendly petting zoo with mostly farm animals. And people have picnics and you can taste local craft beers. It's just a great place to spend the fall day. It sounds amazing. And um, I'm, I'm definitely a farm girl. I love farms. <laughs> so you uh, for sure got my attention with that one. Uh, Ken, same question. You're in Michigan. If I were to visit Michigan tomorrow, where should I go? Well, I'll give you a suggestion. It, it's more so for summertime, admittedly. But there's a, a unique island in Michigan called Mackinac Island. It's located between the lower and upper peninsulas of Michigan. And the item that makes it truly unique is that there are uh, no cars allowed on the island. So your transportation around the island uh, when you get off the, the ferry is either by horse, bike, or walk. And so obviously that is a bit unique in this, this world that we all live in. And just as a, a quick aside, uh, my wife and I were staying there and I played a round of golf. And so the transportation between the ninth and the tenth hole uh, was a horse and carriage, and it took uh, your your clubs and you rode uh, you know a buggy to to get to the tenth tee. So I think that's kind of unique in in this day and age. And so again, it's Mackinac Island. That sounds amazing. I think Mackinac should definitely be added to everyone's list. Um, I've I hadn't heard of it before, but it almost sounds like a bit of time travel. 
Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> there, there are some um, movies that were filmed there, uh, and so uh, it, it's uh, called Somewhere in Time. Was based in in Mackinac Island at the Grand Hotel. Mackinac definitely sounds great. Um, so. I guess I wanted to start this off um, with getting your guys' take on the U.S. market. Since you're both uh, in the U.S., what are some of the factors uh, that are driving that market? And, John, let's start with you. Well, thank you. Um, I, I think the biggest factor, right, is there's a, there's this the greatest intergenerational wealth transfer in modern history has begun, right? You know, the, the baby boomers and older Americans have spent, you know, Decades accumulating a lot of money, right? And especially with the bull run of the Roaring Twenties, uh, they have a lot of money. I think the latest stat was that um, Americans over the age seventy um, have a net worth of nearly thirty-five billion. I'm sorry, sorry, thirty-five trillion to transfer to the younger generation, right? So there's a lot of money in motion, and there will be a lot of opportunity and competition for firms to acquire these assets as they change hands. And, you know, I'm sure people read these statistics, but this money isn't very sticky, right? So there's going to be a lot of money being lost by the incumbents to new places. Uh, and I also think that there's been a growing demand for digital services, right? So, you know, because of Netflix and the Amazon effect on investor behavior, uh, there, there's a rapid change or wealth transformation going towards digitalization, Right. Uh, that was going on before March of 2020 when COVID hit. And that fundamentally and, and, and permanently changed the wealth management industry, right? Uh, every firm Ken and I are talking to in the U.S. are going through a digital transformation um, to provide or improve their digital offering to earn a place to compete in this market. Um, so, you know, this was coupled with this wealth transfer has really impacted the industry in the U.S., Right. It sounds like there's some very good opportunities there for firms that, you know, can sort of get their digital uh, tool set right. Um, the ones who can actually implement correctly and give clients what they're asking for. So, Ken, what are you seeing? Yeah, obviously, I agree with John in regards to the intergenerational wealth transfer and the, uh, you know, digitization that's going on. But I want to just take a kind of a little bit of a step back and talk about advisory services that uh, in, in kind of the, the journey that we're all on. Uh, you know, in, in the early days, and I'm dating myself a little bit, you know, it all was, uh, you know, separately managed accounts. SMA is the, the acronym for it. And, and, you know, and then little product silos would grow up within a firm and you would have your mutual fund advisory, your MFA group, and that was separate from the SMA group. And, uh, you know, each one of these had its own uh, P&L, its profit loss center. What we're seeing now, though, is um, the coming together of unified accounts. And we've all heard of unified managed account. But the, the concept is that we're breaking down the product silos so that we can give a more holistic uh, view to the end client of what their their goals are, let's say, progress towards goal and make smart investing decisions because the assets are not held in separate custodial accounts. The advisor and the folks that have discretion on the account can see the whole account and make 
the correct decisions that's best for the end client. So that's a lot of you know what's taking place as part of that uh, journey that, that John was talking about is to break down those product silos and to uh, put the accounts in into a, a UMA chassis. So you know what, what what's interesting is you know I, I the, the UMA account you know is, is some people think it's a product right it's it's not a product but it's technology that allows you know a more efficient way to manage the asset allocation process and integrate you know investment vehicles right there there are so many advantages to that right it, it provides ability to manage taxes by tax loss harvesting across multiple assets it provides ability to manage overall asset allocations across multiple managers and asset classes, um, it, you know, it, it provides greater ability to monitor performance at the portfolio level rather than just the individual, uh, you know, investment, investment level. Um, but it also, you know, does have the ability to manage cash balances across multiple sleeves, which is important for distribution and, 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 and you know, and paying your fees. Uh, but, but lastly, you know, it's really, it's convenience. You know, uh, if you have a multiple uh, investments in multiple sleeves in, in, a, in a in a UMA account. You, you really have one statement, one performance measurement statement, and and one 1099 at the end of the year. So it's very convenient uh, for for the you know the higher net worth investor. Absolutely, and I think having everything in one place so you can get a comprehensive uh, view of your account is really important, um, and it's definitely something that would appeal to a lot of people. Um, now I am curious about the tax side of this. Uh, can can you perhaps you know explain some of the tax efficiencies that can be derived from a unified managed um, account structure or UMA? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try it, it. It's really engaging in regards to how the UMA is able to handle the optimization and tax aware trading rather than again the separate accounts. So what? Uh, they, uh, the sleeves, uh, so the concept is that the, the uh, asset allocation is done at the, the sleeve level. And so between the sleeves, there are obviously the, the security holdings in, in each one of the sleeves. Uh, from the overlay manager uh, standpoint, if they want to trade a particular security, a security may be owned in two sleeves. What the you know, technology does is it looks at which particular sleeve is best in regards to that particular sell or buy criteria. And well, especially on the sell side, it would take it from the most advantaged sleeve. Uh, the way from an accounting standpoint that you keep it uh, correct is you could do a receive and deliver between sleeves to ensure that uh, the amount of uh, a particular security is correct in each sleeve. So again, it's always having that end client in mind and doing what's best from a tax standpoint for that client. Absolutely, and you know, speaking of the end client, um, something that I've been sort of thinking about for the past couple of days has been this idea of employing uh, the unified managed account structure uh, more broadly. So in, in Canada, for instance, we have um, some of the large uh, wealth firms that employ UMA. I believe it's a similar case in the U.S. Uh, it's expanding, of course. But, you know, I was just thinking about the beginning of 2021 and just uh, the crazy phenomena with retail investors and how we had so many people getting involved with the markets. We had the discount brokerages opening up accounts in record numbers. And 
it just, you know, you had all these new entrants come in um, and, you know, in some cases they weren't really sure what they were doing um, and maybe there was a fair bit of luck involved. Maybe they were following someone who knew what they were doing, but, uh, you know, some of these folks did make a fair bit of money and then there's kind of, um, I think as with any rational investor, you know, once you make money, you don't want to part with it. You don't want to lose it because especially if you feel like you don't have a strong knowledge base uh, in investments and in the markets. So you want to be able to place some of your gains with the professional uh, money manager, or portfolio manager, you know, and who's going to take care of the funds who you feel um you know, has the ability to manage your money correctly. And, you know, you have obviously some level of trust whenever you invest in those types of portfolios. But just this idea that you can have an account with maybe multiple sleeves, so I can have like my play money on one side, and then I can have, uh, you know, some other, I would assume a larger chunk of uh, my funds on in another sleeve and that sleeve just happened to be managed by a portfolio manager, right? Or it's part of um, a bigger portfolio with the firm where I know that a professional is taking care of it um, and that everything in there, you know, is being well managed and I don't have to worry about a crazy market volatility because, you know, someone who's aware of all these uh, market conditions um, is looking after my funds. So how do you feel about introducing UMA more broadly? I, I obviously understand that, you know, there's a cost to this. Um, but when I think about particularly the big banks um, in Canada, I, I'm pretty certain that most of them, you know, have legacy infrastructure and that they have multiple channels. And usually they have, you know, similar um platforms deployed all across their multiple channels, right? Um, I would think it's similar in the US, but you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. So if they're deploying it on, you know, their private wealth side, how big of a stretch is it for them to then go and like deploy it to the hybrid side and the discount brokerage side? I would love your thoughts on that. It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. You know, for, for, you know, listen, UMA technology is needed for modern wealth. Right. And, you know, the adoption is 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 starting to take hold. Right. Um, I believe there are a few wirehouses that are already leveraging this for their wealth platform. Uh, and there's a few others. Right. Um, and some of the some of the larger robos uh, that are not built on legacy are definitely providing UMA technologies for for their investors. But but to use a sports analogy, I still think we're still in the early innings of full adoption of, of unified managed accounts. And certainly firms that can provide an end-to-end -end single platform for their clients. Yeah, John, I, I would agree. Um, I, I hearken back uh, to a particular uh, a project that I worked with a, a client uh, on. You know, and Lubna, you're you're actually uh, totally right in regards to uh, you know we call it the, the do-it-yourselfer, um, right? And and there are times uh, that you talked about that where you how should I say it? Uh, you were a success. Um, but that's not uh, what happens for the most part. And so this particular firm looked across millions of brokerage accounts, right? Their advisory services was just, you know, a subsegment of what overall brokerage can provide. But they looked across the non-discretionary brokerage side and we did a performance measurement for them on uh, the do-it-yourselfer accounts and saw some really um, 
poor performance. And so what uh, they ended up doing was uh, just ensuring that the end client would know the services available, right? You you do have to be very careful in regards to uh, client data and, and not looking like uh, you're being heavy handed on it, but you do wanna make sure that the end client is aware of the professional money management services and, and managing it in that UMA format that you, you spoke about, Lubna, where they could have a sleeve where they are able to still be engaged and, and, and you know undertake some of their, what they feel are their best investment ideas, but leave the, a fair amount of the investing to a professional money management uh, firm that does this every day, you know, uh, and, and is really paying attention uh, to the market. Um, you know, uh, all of us uh, have, de have day jobs, right? And we're not all paying attention to the market the same way professional money management is. So I uh, wanted to just make sure that I, I said that it, it's not a, uh, a one problem and, and very succinct. It, it, it's industry-wide. I, I absolutely agree with you both. Um, you know, it, it, it like I said, it's a concept that's been swirling around in my mind, but the industry is, you know, still pretty far away um, just because not all the firms, um, even some of the very established ones are using UMA at this point. But um, it, it is my belief that that's where they want to get to. It makes sense for them to want to get there uh, just because of all the efficiencies that it creates. Um, for for the advisors and also it creates a better experience for the client as well. Um, so, you know, speaking of, I guess, better client experiences, um, as we know, advisors are extremely busy. They have a lot on their plate. So one of the, one of the trends that I've noticed, and I would love to get your guys' take on this, is the home office is now providing, uh, you know, more portfolio management services to advisors. So the idea being, Hey advisor, you know here are some portfolios uh, that we've constructed, um, and you know you can choose to get your clients invested in them, and we'll take care of all the trading for you. So everything's done centrally, um, and this just kind of opens up their day to do other things like service their clients, get to know their clients better. What are your takes on this, and what are you guys seeing? Yeah, thanks for for asking, and uh, you know it. It's being uh, adopted here in, in the U.S. and and it's a trend that's going to continue. And and in you know why why is this uh, uh, such a, a big trend? And, and it's just it's beyond the fact that it makes sense, right? Let's start start there. Uh, makes sense because you're enabling pieces of the organization to do what they're best at. And what uh, the financial advisor is best at is building relationships and uh, you know, gaining new relationships and really understanding the, the client. Whereas, um, you know, home office has, uh, you know, lots of folks that can be uh, pointed towards the operational concept of the account. And, uh, it, you know, it can be trading, it, it can be uh, some other uh, items in regards to the operation, but uh, then they can get best execution and uh, enable, uh, you know, a full, uh, adherence to any model changes. You know, what happens when an advisor travels, let's say? Okay, they could have their assistant uh, do it, but uh, maybe it's not in a, a timely manner to do the, the trades and the execution. So it certainly makes sense. And then I'll just even turn to the, the, the concept is that it can save the advisor money. Uh, a lot of times the advisor has to employ and literally, you know, they fund additional administrative uh, folks on their end 
uh, to, you know, do some of these. Now I'm, they do other activities within an office, but this can literally pay for itself. So it, it's an, an idea that will continue and, and we'll see more of it. Yeah, and, and, you know, this is a great segue, right, into, like, where you, you know, hyper-personalization, right? If, if you have that, if you, if you have that deep client experience, you don't have time to do all that stuff, right? Do trading and, you know, do the middle office functions. And so, you know, so it definitely provides time for a better client experience, right? So so getting to hyper-personalization, I think of data, right? So the advisors, they must leverage the real-time data and, and characteristics uh, to deliver relevant products and services to the to their clients in, in a more empathetic and personal experience, um, you know. But again, you know, you know, I think the what's important here is that technology can help free up the advisor's time and and pr improve the productivity so that the client can have a deeper uh, relationship. Um, it can also maintain and scale personal connections and drive proactive outreach with with the next best action. And I think that. Um, now it's Morgan Stanley's uh, kind of thing, but I just wanted to really share kind of the hyper personalization uh, uh, digitally, right? So I, I have a pers uh, personal capital account, um, it's a small account, and I have it on my phone, and it has a dashboard, and it has you know very personalized messages to me regarding to my my accounts, and you know what I like about it is that it gives you opportunity to put a uh, aggregation of, you know, your holdings. So my Schwab holdings are in there, my 401, CGI 401k is in there, some other 401ks from, uh, from, uh, from other, uh, other uh, working. Um, and then my children's 529. So I have insurance in there, I have my mortgage in there. Um, and I have my, even my, even my Ethereum holding. And it just sends out daily messages regarding, hey, you know, we have this much cash sitting in, you know, you're sitting in, not sitting in an investment. You know, over time, you would have you know twenty five thousand dollars more in ten years if it was an X. Uh, or you know, if the mortgage rates go down, it, it sends me a message saying, "Hey, you know, at your current rate, you can refi, refinance, and save this much money over time." And then you know, it'll say, "Hey, you're holding a mutual fund that has a high uh, you know fees, and if you change that to an ETF, you can save over each time." It's really relevant, cool stuff. And and it, and it's very sticky. I I, I mean I, I I don't see myself ever leaving the personal capital because of those functions. So it can be an advisor, be highly personalized, but with technology, it could be a digital highly personalized experience. No, absolutely. And I think those nudges are you know they're amazing and they've become crucial for many people. Uh, just getting relevant and engaging information, and it can definitely help people meet their goals as well. Like you know, in your example, for instance, if you're in a mutual fund that's charging you like you know I don't know 250 beeps or something, um, and it doesn't really seem like they're making much of a return, then that might not be worth it, right? And it may be better for you to switch to a lower cost ETF. Um, so I, I think those types of nudges are very powerful. Um, and, you know, just and obviously all of that is possible because of data. And so when I think about data, obviously, in the industry right now, there's a lot of hype around things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and automation. So, you know, I've kind of had this vision uh, almost of like, a one firm. Um, so like earlier, you know, we, we spoke a bit about how um, we have these very large, uh, usually banks, who have all these different channels, 
everything from wealth to insurance to banking. Um, and a client may have, you know, um, multiple products with that bank. Like it's very possible that, you know, you have an investment account, a bank account, you might have your insurance. And so if you're doing all this business with, with this one bank, like the expectation I feel would be around the fact that you would expect this bank to know you, right? To be aware uh, of who you are and like some more personalized information about you um, and to be able to give you more customized insights. Um, and I almost think of it as like a one firm experience, right? Where you're with this one firm, you have all these different things and they're aware that you have everything. So like, you know, for instance, if I have a line of credit and then um, uh, with one side and then the other side, people, um, you know, who have that line of credit are el eligible for, for some discount. It might be on the investment side. Like I would like to know about it, right? Without me having to go and tell you that I have this line of credit. Obviously, as long as, you know, um, data stored properly, the client gives uh, appropriate consent for their information to be shared across the firm um, and, you know, regulatory obligations are met. So what do you guys think of this concept of this one firm where imagine you have a bank account and an investment account um, and now, you know, you have maybe some excess funds sitting in that bank account. And then it says, hey, you know, on your investment account, you have this um, portfolio or this ETF and it returned something like 15 percent last year. Um, do you want to move some of uh, the funds in your bank account to that ETF? And then, you know, having a very seamless process where I can easily say, yes, move X amount of funds into that ETF and it'll, the, the funds will just go. And like, you know, two days later, I go in and I see that um, I have more shares of that, um, that ETF. Uh, so I guess I'll start, I'll start with you, Kent. What are your thoughts around this? Yeah, that that's a terrific concept. I remember working with a, a particular firm on on something that was that was similar. And what I want to point out, we you know we use the the term uh, data in a very kind of generic way, but it it's how you analyze and, and look at the data is the, the kind of the first concept. And and what I mean by that is, you know, when you were saying that there might be, um, you, you know, they always had an emergency fund. Uh, at a certain threshold, and you might cross that uh, threshold. So let's say it's $20,000, and they're looking for folks that have in excess of $20,000 in a bank account. Well, you know, that the excess funds could be targeted for something else. Maybe, maybe they're buying a car, right? Um, so what uh, you really needed to do was look at balances over time. So, you know, average account balance over, you know, let's say it's a month or a quarter, and, and you know, and then engage. And then the second concept that you said that I, I really like is is the the education part of it. Um, I think you you, you use the word uh, nudges, which is terrific in regards to you're educating the end client on what their their possible um, alternatives are, and to kind of engage them in the fact that. Um, each asset has its pluses and minuses, right? You know, there's a liquidity certainly within, you know, bank accounts and that type of thing. And, and maybe that's what the end client needs or, or wants, but then there could also be performance considerations on the investment side. So as long as we're really looking at it with the education lens, I think that's where the best result for the end client would come out. Yeah, and I, and I, I think when I, I look at it you know, 10 years down the road, I mean, I think it'd be really cool if, if 
as long as you have discretion, as long as the advisor has discretion on the account and it supports the investment policy statement, you don't need to pick up a phone and say, hey, John, this 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 mutual fund has is 250 beeps. It just automatically do it. You know what I mean? So I think that would be pretty cool. That that's kind of what's gonna happen in the future, right? There's so much point data points. It's like you don't have to pick up the phone and call 25 people. The, the system, the the, the 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 algorithm or the technology just does it for you, for 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 the you know for the best way for your client. Absolutely, and you know I guess that <clears throat> sorry goes back to um, that portion about consent, right? As long as the client says yes, I give you the discretion to you know move things around or change. Uh, um, my security selection or allocation to best meet my needs. Um, I, I think, you know, that that would be amazing and it would definitely help a lot of people. Now, I want to move on to innovation. That is one of my favorite uh, topics and I ask every guest. So I wanted to, of course, ask you both as well. And I can start with John. So John, when we talk about innovation in the market, like what innovative um, firms or products are you seeing? Like products that make you say, wow, that's amazing. You know, this is really adding value. It's a, it's a good question. I kind of, I, I, I like, enjoy looking for those types of firms. Um, but, you know, like, listen, this, these, these smaller firms, these technology firms are really innovative. Unfortunately, large firms that have legacy and been around for a long time, they, they're, just, they're not really innovative, right? But, but you know, most likely they'll get, a, they'll acquire the, the innovative company. But there's one firm that, you know, I'd like to bring up today and, and it's, it's, a, it's a PE firm, right? It's a private equity firm, it's called the Tiffin Group. Um, and, you know, they're based in Col uh, Boulder, Colorado. I've been reading a lot of things about them and they, some of my clients that I cover when, in my former job, uh, were engaged with them, right? So uh, this they have large investment from J.P. Morgan, Morningstar, and Broadridge too. So, uh, and what they focus on is uh, you know they have about ten technology firms uh, in in the asset and wealth segment, um, and and most of them are advanced in in very tech, uh, very advanced tech and data driven tools for the advisors, right? So so there's one firm that was called Fifty Five IP. And they were doing some really innovative stuff around tax optimization and separately managed accounts uh, option strategies. You know, not very common, and 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 it could deliver it via published APIs to sit in any ecosystem. Uh, BlackRock was their first strategic client, and they were then acquired by J.P. Morgan in 2020. So you know, J.P. Morgan had a need for tax optimization and also you know getting some alpha on option strategies. And then there's one other firm that you know that I, it's really interesting. Um, it's it's another Tiffin uh, portfolio, and it's called Positively. And what it does is it essentially aligns your financial views and your personal views, and then identifies uh, personalized investment options. So it's it's pretty cool stuff, and it you know fits the whole hyper personalization. Um, so so basically, you know, and I, I would say go to their website because you can take the quiz, and and I took you know I did it. Um, and basically, it's a questionnaire with an algorithm, and it tells you what kind of investor you are. So it breaks it down into four types, right? Either you're a purpose investor, a touch investor, a security investor, and a viewpoint investor. And they all have definitions, but it's very thematic. It's you know, it's, it's very ESG driven, um, and I think it's I think it's I think it would be an amazing tool uh, for your advisor to to 
you know, get that a better understanding of their client because these these personalities drive different reactions or different feelings. So I, I would definitely go to the website and take the quiz. Oh, I'll definitely take the quiz. I'm very interested in knowing what kind of investor I am. <laughs> um, so, Ken, uh, what about you? Any innovation that has you excited? Um, I, I just want to uh, kind of. Uh, level set and, and uh, you know, talk about uh, the fact what John brought up or a lot of the uh, these smaller companies with, with great ideas are able to execute their ideas. And I look back at least to, to my career and, and, and thinking back, uh, you know, late 90s, let's say early aughts, you would literally have to um, either set up your own, um, you know, data back office or, or uh, go to a very expensive provider to uh, enable this type of technology, or, or you're selling software. Literally, you're doing source code transfer over to, to a client. But what we have today, you know, and we're, we take it for granted, is cloud computing, right? What AWS and Microsoft Azure and, and others have done is uh, really um, leveled the playing field between a lot of these uh, smaller firms with great ideas and, and even uh, you know some of the innovation labs at larger firms where they they are trying to innovate but yes they've they've got a lot of infrastructure to to kind of overcome but you know the the small guy can uh, effectively compete and effectively build their business and I, I think sometimes we we almost take it for granted these days of how great the cloud is and how many advantages that provides to uh, the whole industry and innovation I know I absolutely agree with you um, I think the smaller firms, you know, they're definitely more nimble, more agile. Um, and they, you know, they it's just a world of possibility for them, right? They want to go out there. They want to be bright. They want to be very cutting edge and uh, definitely an amazing space for innovation. Um, this has been a great chat. Thank you both for being here. Before we wrap up, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add or a topic that you wanted to discuss that we didn't get to today? Uh, I'll start with you, Ken. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on the uh, the Wealth Chat uh, broadcast. I truly appreciate it. You know, one thing I want to say from uh, the U.S. perspective, and it, it has to do with um, kind of an internal focus, shall we say. Uh, maybe we heard it a lot in our previous administration in regards to politics, but it's also in financial. So a lot of our investing is within the United States itself, whether that is a U.S. or what's called ADRs, American Depository Receipts, for foreign companies that are traded on on a U.S. exchange. Um, but you know what I think we're going to see a lot more of down the road is having to invest outside of the U.S. and to uh, have a multi-currency need because the U.S. won't be the the leader in regards to performance return. And so the uh, best investors and best money managers will know that you have to go elsewhere to get the performance that, that's really needed. And so I, I think we're going to see more multi-currency investing than, than we have today. I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, we've seen that the Asia-Pac region has been very hot. A lot of money flowing there for a reason. Um, John, did you have anything to add? Yeah, 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 sure. I mean, I mentioned modern wealth, I think, a couple of times. And you know, when, I, when I think of modern wealth, I think about it, the asset ag aggregation, you know, planning and optimizing portfolio trading across households and reporting back financial health, 
on a fiduciary standard of care. It's also a big focus on risk, tax, fees, and diversification analytics on a single platform for your client. And you can only truly do that on a unified managed account technology. So, you know, uh, in order to succeed in modern wealth, you, you really do have to, you, know, you, you need the technology to provide that stuff for your clients. I completely agree with you. Um, and with that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much to both of you. This has been a great conversation. Thanks, Lavna. 